We are starting our summer series, and it is called Ecclesia. Say Ecclesia. Say it, say, it, say it again. Ecclesia. Say it nice and loud. Uh, there we go. All right. This is a Greek word that we get our English word church from. I'll explain all that in a minute. I'm going to read verse 18, and then we're going to go back and read verse 15 to 18 again. So verse 18, Matthew chapter 16 says this. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Why do you say that? Well, back in verse 15, he, that is Jesus, said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Amen. Father, we do say amen to that. And uh, God, we are so thankful for your eternal vision and plan to create the most beautiful of all of your creations, the bride of Christ the church, your holy people that are set apart to be zealous for good works, rescued by Jesus, your son. And we pray that as we begin this series that, uh, Holy Father, you would, you would take this church into your hands. God, we believe it to be there, but more than ever, we're asking that, that you would help us to recapture the vision that your son has for his church that you would dial us in, that we would, we would be fully focused and centered, not a degree off, that you would sift the church and that you would cause those things that are pleasing to you to remain. And God, we do ask this, that every single person that calls this their church home would be fully and completely engaged in this community Oh, God, we give you praise. We know there are so many great things you're going to do. We just open up our hearts, uh, and we expect as we get to the end of this study that we're going to be able to look back and say, God, you were with us, and you poured out your spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat. That does give you kind of an idea of what we've been praying about, and I uh, would encourage you just to be praying about, for sure, if you call this your church home, uh, don't just come on Sundays to come on Sundays. Make sure you're praying for our times together throughout the week. The title of the series is called Ecclesia, and um, the point of the series is to recapture Jesus' vision for his church. You know, I was driving to church the other week. I was actually, I mean, for me, I was dropping Levi off at school. So this is where Levi goes to school. Um, I was coming to church. And then I was also coming to work because, you know, like, this is where I work, you know, quote, unquote, where the, my vocation rolls out. Not that I see it that way, but you understand what I'm saying. I'm saying all of that to say, like, in a given year, I can travel here and then home, like, over a thousand times. And I was driving here the other day, and I realized, man, I was totally on autopilot. Have you ever been in that place where you're driving, and all of a sudden you have this awareness? You're like, you haven't even been paying attention to anything. Like, you've been going through the lights just following the person in front of you, and you don't even know if the light, I mean, you hope it was green or yellow, 
But, but it's like you get on the other side and you're like, oh man, I, I wasn't even thinking about what color that light was. Or like later on, you can look back uh, on how you got there and think, you know, I'm not even sure which route I took. You just get so, it's almost like, anybody with me? You know what I'm talking about? Uh, somebody said this, I don't know if this is true, but, but they said that the vast majority of automobile accidents happen within like two or three miles in radius from your house because it's in that moment you're not paying attention. You're just used to going through the motions, right? The car's almost on autopilot. And I think sometimes, I think sometimes the church can be like that. I think sometimes churches can be like that, you know, following trends, looking out into uh, the church world and and finding those things that are successful or relevant to uh, the culture and then just engaging in them and following what the fad is without really necessarily knowing where you're going or if that's right. I think sometimes we as Christians can be like that. Like, you know, Sunday morning might be for some of us part of our weekly routine. It's a good routine, don't get me wrong. It's a great tradition to have. But sometimes, you know, we just can get into this rut where we're on autopilot and we're just coming. And we're not even really asking ourselves critical questions like, what is the church in the first place? And what is my part supposed to be? And what is it that Jesus really intended for his church? Have you, ever, have you ever really asked that question, what his vision for the church is? I think it's important because, listen, church gets messy. Right? I mean, church gets messy because the church is filled with a bunch of sinners. Thank you for coming to church today, you sinner. <laughs> like, we're, we're, we're all... Uh, if we put our faith in Christ, we are redeemed, we are forgiven, we are rescued, but we are a work in process. You know, sometimes, sometimes it's mission drift, right? We get off track. Instead of being focused on what God has called us to, what we know he's called us to, we can get caught up in the latest ideas or gimmicks or trends. I'm not saying today that we shouldn't be cognizant of what's happening out in the church world and recognizing those things that we can learn from because I, I, as a leader, I always want to be in that place. But we don't want to just be like looking to the, to the church world to guide us for what God has called us to. I think sometimes we can get sidetracked by issues and agendas. I think sometimes churches can be dominated by religious power structures. I'll talk about that in a minute. I think sometimes the world is more influential on the church than the church is influential on the world. That can really mess the church up sometimes too. And then sometimes the truth is this, the church can be difficult, it can be messy because leaders make bad decisions. I mean leaders in the church. And obviously I feel this one, uh, and we do as a pastoral team, we feel this most acutely because we know, and I know, that the decisions that I make have a huge impact on your lives. And the truth is this, we don't always get it right. You know, we don't always get it right. We have to ask ourselves continually, Lord, are we, are we, are we where you want us to be? Is, is what we're doing, is our approach pleasing to you? Are we really centered around you? And we have to ask in a way where we're willing to ask the Lord to search our hearts. You know, I think this is going to be an amazing study. I think it's going to be life-changing, not just for our church. I think it has the potential to be life-changing for you and for me, but it'll only be that if we come honestly and transparently to God. Like in, like in a way, and remember, the purpose of the summer series is to recapture the vision that Jesus has for his church.
Um, or, or maybe I could say it like this, to ensure that what we're doing is his vision. And I have no doubt that there are areas in our lives and as a church where we're going to be reinforced by the Holy Spirit, kind of like this. The Holy Spirit's going to be saying to us, you know what, you're on track. That's exact, you are exactly where you need to be. And then I also think that the Spirit of God is going to say, hey, you're a degree off. Um, or maybe more than a degree off, or maybe, hey, this isn't wickedness and evil, but this is an obstruction to what I've called you to. I've got more for you than this. And I just want to let you know that um, as, a, as a leadership team, we are transparently and authentically approaching this study in a way where we want God to really sort through and sift through all that we do and who we are I'm not saying today that, you know, every church ultimately is going to be the same. Diversities in the church are beautiful. Departures from Christ's vision for the church are not. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to identify six ways that we often get the church wrong. And the only way for us to really identify uh, those things is to weigh what we do. And now I'm talking big C. I'm talking about the church in general Weigh what we do against what Jesus said. So today as we go through our study, um, the key is going to be what Jesus has said, uh, what Jesus has laid out as a vision for his church. I'm going to say that phrase over and over again, Jesus said, because at the end of the day, all that matters is what Jesus has told us to do and what he's told us to be. So the word ekklesia, like I said, comes from a Greek word kaleo. It means to call out. Um, and so, like, with almost without exception, as you read uh, this word in context in all of the New Testament books, is talking about an assembly or a gathering of people or a community of people that have been called out. Um, obviously, when we're talking about the church being the ecclesia, we're talking about a community of people that have been called out of the kingdom of darkness, Colossians chapter 1, and brought into the kingdom of the Son, who is the object of the Father's love. That's what it means to be called out. We're not just like, we're not just the Lions Club. We're not a social gathering today. We didn't come just to get a good cup of coffee. We are an actual community of people that have been called out of darkness into the marvelous light of God. Give a more hearty amen to that. <clears throat> And, and listen, by the way, this study is participatory, and, um, you know, so, and when we get to the end of the study, like, there's going to be a lot of participation, uh, so just, just engage as, as, uh, as much as you can. I want to give you a working definition for the church that we're going to be using throughout this study. Um, if you do study these types of things and you go to Bible dictionaries, like, you, you, you know, you get a lot of different definitions. Fundamentally, they all should say the same thing, but here is the definition for us today. It's up on the screen. The church is the community of Christ's people, which he calls into being in and around himself, who live by faith in God's word, in loving relationship with one another, in loving relationship with one another, right? Let me just say it one more time, in loving relationship with one another, okay? And as empowered witnesses for the gospel to the unbelieving world, all right? That's our working definition. So let's, let's read this together out loud as the church. 
One, two, three. The church is the community of Christ's people, which he calls into being in and around himself, who live by faith in God's word, in loving relationship with one another, and as empowered witnesses for the gospel to the unbelieving world. Yeah, amen. That's, that's good. That's what the church is. If you're taking notes today, four specific things that um, we're going to pull from that definition, and we're going to be focused, like I said, on Jesus' words. First is this, the church is Christ's creation, not man's creation. The church is Christ's creation, not man's creation. We read from Matthew chapter 16, verse 18 today, and I want to reread it. Jesus said this, he said, and I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Hey, listen, the church is not some something that man is manufactured. There was no mind of man that came up with this idea of a community of people that belong to God. This was God's idea all along. It's a creation of Christ and not of man. And the way Jesus puts it so profound, I think, this morning, you'll notice a couple of things that he says here. Let me just read this again. And I also say to you that you are Peter and on this rock, Number one, we recognize from the words of Christ that he is the rock. Jesus is the rock. Now, now I know some of, uh, there are some segments of Christianity that translate this or interpret this a little differently. Some say, well, Peter's the rock. But I think if you look at the gospel accounts and the epistles, you understand that Jesus for sure was too wise to make Peter the foundation of the eternal church of God. You know, that just, you know, would not make sense. Plus, there is there are things in the original language that lead us to understand that we're not talking about Peter being the rock. We're talking about what Peter said. Well, what did Peter say? Jesus asked a question to his disciples, who do men say that I am? There's a lot, there are a lot of ideas out there. Peter, evidently being the spokesperson for the rest of the disciples, piped up, right? They had talked about this, they discussed it, and they'd come to a conclusion. And the conclusion was this, you are the Christ, you are the son of the living God. That's what we believe. You are Christ, you are Messiah, you are the anointed one, you are the chosen one. You are God's rescuer. You are God's redeemer. You are the fulfillment of Genesis chapter 3, verses 15 and 16, the very first time that God said that he would bring through the woman the seed that would conquer the adversary, that would conquer the serpent. So, so there is no man, there is no pastoral team, and there is no institution that is the rock. Jesus is the rock. He is the foundation of the church. I want you to notice as well that he says that he is the builder, right? And on this rock, I will build. I will build. I will, the, the person who is responsible really for building the church is the Lord. I want to tell you as a leader, this is so, this brings so much peace to me. Because, you know, sometimes there's a tendency, there's a temptation to look out into the church world and to try to find the program or the thing, the relevant thing that's really gaining traction and gaining momentum and could be the thing that we could implement to make our church bigger. Sometimes there's the temptation. Like I said, listen, we are always learning, right? But sometimes there's the, the temptation to like lean into the programs of man to do what only Christ himself can do. Paul put it like this. Paul said, some plant and some water, but it's Christ who brings the increase. 
He is the one who is responsible for building his church. And, and this is a big deal because he's, the, he's really the only one who's able to do it because he's the only one who died for his church. He died for his church to build his church. Ephesians 5.25 puts it like this. Paul says, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word. Don't you need that today? It's one of the reasons why we're in the word of God. He goes on to say that he might present her to himself a glorious church. Isn't that beautiful? That he might, I don't know how you view the church today. I don't know what your, your church talk was like this week. I don't know how you talk about the church you know, if it's positive or if it's negative, if it's critical, I don't know how you see the church. I want to tell you how he sees it. He sees it as a beautiful thing. One day Jesus is going to present his people, the, the, the overall eternal global community of, of Christ. He's going to present the church to his father and it will be glorious. The third and final thing that I see in this statement is that it is his church. He says, and on this rock, I will build my church. It is his. The church belongs to Jesus. It's okay for you to say my church in the sense of belonging. Hey, this is the local community of born-again believers that I belong to. But we never speak of the church as we use the word my in the sense of ownership. Sometimes I hear that among pastors and it always causes me to cringe a little bit. You know, well, my church this and my church that. And, and I get it from the sense of shepherding and sacrificing and being called to a body of people. I I've for sure support that. But sometimes it crosses a line into ownership as almost if that the pastor is the center instead of Jesus being the center. And that for sure is something that we always want to avoid. It is his church. Listen, we get it wrong when we think the church or, or when we think of the church as a religious institution with man-made rules governed by a religious power structure. That is not the church. And that's how many people view the church. We get it wrong if we think of the church as a religious institution with man-made rules governed by a religious power structure. Now, let me just say, the church is organized, and it does have spiritual leadership. Like, that's biblical. That's instituted by God himself. And we see that conveyed in the epistles, and we absolutely see that established by Jesus. But the organization of the church does not save people. There is one mediator between man and God, and it is not awake in Las Vegas. It is not the Catholic Church. It is not the Presbyterian Church. It is not the Methodist Church. It is not Calvary Chapel. It is Jesus Christ. He is the one mediator between man and God. The church does not have the capacity or the power to save. The, the, the purpose of spiritual leadership is not to control the people who are part of the congregation. Leaders are supposed to serve. It's not about following rules. It's about following the Lord. So number one, let's make sure we all understand the church is something created by Christ, not by man. The second thing I would say today to you is this. The church is gained and I'm using this word on purpose, the church is gained by a living faith in the gospel. The church is gained by a living faith in the gospel. Being part of the church, remember, we're talking about the community of God's people. Being part of the church is a gift to be gained. Wow. Oh, man. Really? You sure about that? 
It is a gift. It's a gift to be gained. It's a privilege. Here, check this one out. It's a privilege to participate in the people of God. Do you, do you feel that today? The privilege of participating in the people of God. And all of this, all of this, listen, because the church is a, is a, a treasure in the heart of God. He treasures his people. He treasures his people. I, I would say to you today that the most beautiful creation of all of God's creations so I say this, and you're like, man, I love the sunset. I love the sun setting over the Pacific. Uh, that's beautiful. Some of you, you're mountain people, and so you love the beautiful mountains, snow-capped mountains, beautiful trees. That to you is beautiful. Some of you are into cosmology, and so it's like you love to, especially with this new telescope they've created, you love to, to peer into what seems to be the endless universe, and in it, there's a stirring in your heart because you see the beauty of God. I would say to you that all of those beauties pale in comparison to the beauty of the church, the eternal church of God that has been purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. There's nothing more beautiful than to be a part of, of the people of God. And to be, in, to be in that, you must be born again. To be in that, you must be born again. I'm reminded of the classic words of Jesus to a religionist. Remember, he said this to Nicodemus, who was the teacher of all of Israel. Nicodemus was a guy who could tell people with absolute perfection all of the religious rituals they needed to go through to be pleasing in the eyes of God. I mean, he was a master at this. He taught all of Israel in this, and yet he had missed the main point. When Jesus said to him, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of, of God, Nicodemus didn't understand. And he said to Nicodemus, are you the teacher of all Israel and you don't understand this? Listen, to be part of the kingdom of God, you have to be born from above. To be part of the people of God, you have to be baptized into the church by God's spirit. Paul says this. He says, for by one spirit we were all baptized into one body. He's not talking about water baptism. He's talking about taking a soul that was under the prince of the power of the air and the hand of God plucking that soul out of the fires of hell and placing that soul into and amongst his people, a living tabernacle or a living temple. The spirit of God does that. You must be born again to enter the kingdom of heaven. You say, well, how... How can someone be born again? The simple answer is faith in Christ, faith in his incarnation, faith in his perfection. He lived an absolutely perfect, flawless life for you, faith in his crucifixion, and faith in his resurrection. These are key orthodox essentials for all true Christians. They are non-negotiables. We don't have the freedom to mess with the gospel because the gospel is the only pathway to a living relationship with God, right? If you don't have a living relationship with God and you are coming and being a part of the gathering of God's people, you are going through, through useless religious rituals that will gain you nothing. They will never gain you an entrance into everlasting life. No, you hear the gospel and you believe the content of the gospel. You make a commitment to follow Jesus Christ and then you experience a spiritual conversion. There is something that happens in your life. It's called transformation. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are not the same person that you were before you took the step of faith. You are blood-bought. 
You are forgiven of your sins. You are indwelt with the power of God. You are a child of God. You have the destiny of heaven. Listen, there's something that happens in your life when you believe in Jesus Christ, which is why we get it wrong if we reduce the church to a building or a place. I know this is obvious to you, and uh, you probably knew I was going to land here at some point, but you, you know that we, we have to say this because for some people, this is what we mean when we say church. I'm going to church. Well, what do you mean? Are you going to the, the place where the people of God are gathered together? I mean, if that's what you mean when you say I'm going to church, then I'd say, you know what? Awesome. More power to you. That's great. If you say I'm going to the building or I'm going to the facility, then, then we have a problem because the facility is not the church. The people are the church. Just because you go to a church, just because you go to the church where God's people are gathered doesn't mean you're part of God's church. This is just one of the places where the power of God is demonstrated, where dead people come to life. That's what this building is. It's just one of the places, right? You say, well, what are the other places? I say any place where two or more born-again believers are gathered together. Listen, where, where, where there's two or more born-again believers gathered together, that's church, right? That's the community of God's people. Well, pastor, you're saying my life group is church? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Your life group is church. You say, when I go and have coffee at Starbucks or I'm at Beyond and, and I'm with a brother or sister in the Lord, yeah, that's church. And you know what? That place is made sacred by the presence of Christ in your life because Jesus himself promised that where two or more are, are gathered together, he is there in a very special way. And so I think it's important for us because you know if we don't, if we don't say it, if we don't say it, think about the condescension of the gospel in moving from the sacrifice of Christ being the means through which we enter into the presence of God, condescending to a place where we say, well, just as long as we go to this facility or this building, somehow that earns us favor in the eyes of God. Listen, we've gathered together as the people of God. We've been redeemed. We've been purchased by the blood of Christ. And we've all made a radical shift to God's truth. When we gather together as God's people, we are praying. We are worshiping God in song. We're giving him the praise that he deserves, acknowledging his beauty and adoring him with music. And then we also gather together around God's truth. You say, well, what is God's truth? I said, the Bible is God's truth. From Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 to Revelation chapter 22, verse 21, we're not gathered around a man's ideas or the world's philosophies or the, the latest cultural issue. We have gathered together to hear what God has to say, right? We want to open up the book because we've made a major shift in our lives. We're not, we're not living our lives based on how we were raised we're coming together, we're acknowledging what it is that God has said, and we're not just saying amen to it in the sense of, yeah, I intellectually believe that's true. We're saying, yes, I believe it's true, and I'm also submitting my life to it. I have heard, God, what you have said to me and, and said to us as the people of God. We're acknowledging it as your inspired word, and we're demonstrating that we belong to you by submitting our lives to you and aligning ourselves to your truth and not our own. Jesus said this, he said in John chapter 4 verse 23, but the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father 
You know how this goes? Yeah, in spirit and truth. For the Father seeking such to worship him, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. He says to the Samaritan woman, listen, there's a special thing that God's doing. He's gathering people to himself and this is what he desires. These people will be worshipers. They will be people who reverence and adore the Father and they'll worship him in spirit. There will be a spiritual connection between themselves and God. How do you get that? You have to be born again. And not only that, but they will align themselves. Part of their expression of worship will be aligning themselves to God's truth. And so let me just say, we get it wrong when we come to be entertained instead of coming to worship. We get it wrong when we come to be entertained. We live in an entertainment-oriented culture. It's just the way it is. And if we're not careful, we can bring that into this place, right? I mean, the songs are amazing. Our worship team is extraordinary, and we're so absolutely thankful. But we don't just come to sing the favorite melodies that we have come to love, we don't come to hear, and this is impossible anyway, we don't come to hear some brilliant person, some intellectual who has extraordinary capacities, right? I mean, this is an easy one for you guys not to get messed up on, you know, who is some inspirational speaker. Like, we've not come for that. We've come not to be entertained. We've come to worship. The, the, the other thing here is this. We get it wrong when we think of God's truth as something that's up for grabs. So when we read that section of scripture that Jesus says those who worship worship in spirit and truth that means that if we just think that God's truth is is up for grabs that we can just hey we have the freedom to form and shape this book based on how our culture is moving and the things that we think are passe um, or old time or not relevant anymore and we need to catch up with the times and so we're just gonna we're gonna shape shift the word of God we got a serious problem we do not have the freedom to do that and you say, well, that's absurd. Who would do that? All over the country today. All over the country today, there are pastors behind pulp pulpits teaching universalism, saying, hey, listen, you know what? All paths lead to God. You can believe in Jesus. You can believe in Buddha. You can believe in Muhammad. You can believe in yourself. You can believe in, you know, your toilet. And as long as your belief is sincere... Right, as long as you're sincere, because that's all that matters is that, you know, you're sincere because God loves you no matter what, you know, and all paths ultimately lead to God. Well, listen, they do, but there's a fork in the road afterwards, right? One is eternal life with him, and the other one is eternal condemnation. No, it's not universalism. You know, sometimes, even today, for sure, there will be, uh, there will be churches that have adopted the world's view on sexuality, and if you think that that's surprising, the, the truth is this, most mainline denominations today are split over issues of sexuality because the church has, in some regard, in some instances, felt that they've, they've the freedom to shapeshift the word of God and to make it more culturally relevant. There are pastors today who are teaching that humans are essentially good, and you know what? There is no original sin, and there's really no need to repent you know, you don't have to repent of sin because at the end of the day, we all are really good, right? And, and yet, the Bible says there are none who are good, no, not one. And yet, those are the very people who say, hey, well, listen, if you're just a good person, you know, God, God will accept you as long as you do your best. 
but that's not what the Bible teaches. And so we don't have the freedom to shape the Word of God to fit what we think is relevant. The third thing uh, I would say to you today is the church is a community that lives in loving relationship with one another. The church is a community. Yeah, yes, some of you. Some of you don't want to say amen right now, right? Some of you are like. And so, so I just want to say, say amen, right? Say amen and then live to the amen. Sometimes we have to do that, right? Some, sometimes it's like, God, I don't want to. I don't feel like it. I'm sitting next to somebody I don't even like, you know? My Sunday's ruined because this punk sat next to me. Don't, don't look at the punk. And, and you know what? You just got to say amen to this truth, and then you've got to live up to it. And you know your heart will follow. C.S. Lewis said that. John 13, 34 says this, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I, how, right? How? Conditional love, you know? No. As I've loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you're my disciples if, conditional statement here, if you have love for one another. I mean, you guys know that when Jesus said this, it was not too long after this that the disciples were actually arguing over who was the greatest in the kingdom, right? So in he knowing all things, I wonder if he's like, okay, listen, I'm just going to give you guys, I'm going to help you out here. A new commandment I give you, not a new suggestion, right? Not, not if it's convenient for you. Um, he didn't say, hey, you know what, for those who are nice to you and they, you know, like your posts on, on Facebook and, and they follow you, um, for those people who are courteous to you and kind to you, he didn't say that. He said, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. That means everybody, right? That means everybody. Guaranteed, there are probably some people in this room that you struggle with. Do not point right now. <laughs> Listen, there are times when I teach, and, and it gets really quiet. <laughs> that was one of those moments. You know, you sit in the normal spot. This is your spot. This is your spot. And you come in on a Sunday, and it's like, I, she's in my spot. She's in my spot. And you know what? I don't even like her. And so it's not like you can sit next to her because you don't like her. And so what do you do? Well, you pick, pick the other side of the worship center to, to sit in. And your friends are like, hey, where are you? Where are you? You're not in your normal spot. And now you're stuck because if you're like, well, I d decided to sit over here today, they're going to say why. And then you're either going to tell the truth or you're going to lie, right? <laughs> and it's like, well, I just want to try something different today. No, you didn't. You liar. You lied. You didn't want to, you're avoiding someone that you don't like. You know, you're, you're, you want some coffee from beyond. At the end of the line is somebody that you just, she, she just gets on your nerves, right? She gets on your So you wait. You literally wait until more people get in line so there's a buffer. There's a buffer between you and that person that you don't like. And, you know, I've said this a million times. God will place difficult, unlovely people in our lives to test us whether we're loving with our love or with his love. No, the truth is this. We are a community. And we're supposed to be in relationship with one another. We're supposed to be living interdependently. And we have shared purpose. What fights against this, I believe, is radical individualism. And I think it's one of the greatest threats to biblical community. And this is so predominant in our American culture. Radical individualism is one of the greatest threats to biblical community. It's that mindset. 
where you roll in, you sit in a seat, you don't talk to anybody, you bear, the only person you say hi to is the greeter who said hi to you, you get your fill, you get your thing, and then you leave. And I would say to you, God has so much more for you than that. And that's not, you're not really experiencing the church if you just reduce it to that. You know, I was, I was pondering this uh, a couple of weeks ago. And I think sometimes the church in America is like going to a convenience store. You know, the pastors and programs are the vendors, and the people are the customers or the consumers. I'm not saying this is the way that it should be. I think sometimes this is, this is what we've made it, and a lot of this falls on leadership. You know, this is, it's almost like going to a convenience store. You know, you pick the convenience store that has the stuff that you like. The vendors that are putting the things you like in a, in a way that's uh, very convenient for you. And so, you know, you go in, all the stuff's there, you make your purchase, and you leave. You're the consumer, you're the customer. And I think church, I, I think sometimes we can have that mindset for church, you know? It's like, it's like well, you know, these are the things that I like, and, and, and these are the needs that I have that, that need to be met. Don't get me wrong, there's a set of essential needs that absolutely must be met like the word of God must be taught, right? That's obviously not a negotiable, but sometimes it's, it's all these non-negotiables or all these issues that can be negotiated, all these non-essentials, all these issues of preference. I like the building, I don't like the building. It's too cold, it's not cold enough. Children's ministry is not close enough, it's too far away. I like the color of the building. I don't like the color of the building. I like what pastor wears. I don't like what pastor wears, right? The song selection is too contemporary. There's not enough hymns. You know, sometimes I'm just saying, sometimes we have all of these issues that really become the guiding factors for us in our engagement in a church, and they're nothing more than issues of preference. And sometimes we can take the least important things and make them the most important things. So we get it wrong when we adopt the world's culture instead of creating biblical culture. And, and consumerism is not biblical culture. So good news today. It is good news. You may not like this statement, but, but here it is. It's not about you. It's not about you. And you're like, it's not about you either, punk. And I'm like, <laughs> I know. I know that. I agree. Yes. I am a punk, and I, and I know that too, all right? I agree. I'm with you. It's not, it's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about us. If we're going to put uh, orders of priority here, number one is God, right? Number one is God. We have come together to center ourselves around him, to give him the praise that he deserves, and to open up our hearts so that he can speak to us, so that we leave transformed and changed. Number two is not you, it's others, Right? This is where, like when people go church shopping, which is what they do nowadays, people go church shopping, it, it's, it's all about, you know, okay, well, God first, I agree, and then me, right? No, it's not, it's not you, it's others. It's like the mindset's this, where, God, where can I go where I know the center and the focus is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and where can I be present, plugged into a community of born-again believers where the gifts that you've given me can be stirred up to bless other people, God, plant me in the place where I can be a blessing. Plant me in a place. Be careful what you clap for. Okay, be careful what you clap for. Because, because we're going to do a survey later on. 
We're going to do a survey later on. I mean, it sounds like the majority of you believe that you should be fully engaged in serving in, in this community of believers. Okay, well, I'm going, to ask, I'm going to ask a question later that's going to test that. So, so third, of course, on the priority scale is, is you or me or we. It's not corporate America. It's, we're not a bunch of culture warriors when we're not driven by secular values. The final thing today, super quick, is this. The church lives to witness to the unbelieving world. The church lives to witness to the unbelieving world. Jesus said, Matthew chapter 28, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I commanded you. And so, listen, if we ever get in a place, like this is the danger of building a building. Sometimes when the new buildings build, it's like, oh, that's awesome. You know, let's, let's, um, let's get comfortable. Let's get comfortable. Hey, it's, it's pretty full, so we're pretty good. We're pretty set. No, we're never set. Why? Because no matter how full this room gets, there's a whole city of lost people out there. And our mindset is never just what happens within these. There's, there's more than four walls here. But within these walls, our mindset is this. We are going to get touched by God, influenced by His Spirit, and we are going to go out and be His witnesses to impact the lost world around us. We get it wrong when we fail to prioritize reaching lost souls. We, fa- we, we get it wrong when we fail to prioritize reaching lost souls. Father, we're thankful, God. We bless your holy name, and we're just uh, so privileged and honored to be part of the church, God, the community of born-again believers that belong to Jesus. And Father, we pray that you would just pour out your Holy Spirit in a fresh and a new way upon us, and God, that our hearts would truly be bound together with bands of loving kindness and tender mercies, that everything that you desire for us and you desire to do through us all that you have planned, your vision, would be fully experienced. And God, there truly is no idol that sits on the throne that only you deserve to sit on. We're willing, Father, to yield anything to you. And so, God, we pray that this would be the beginning of just a beautiful work of your Holy Spirit, as you shape this, your church, in Jesus' name, amen.